this is your first time to RUF. Thanks for being here. We're so glad y'all are here. Um, let me tell you a story and then um, explain what we're talking about. So I grew up in a small town in North Alabama. The closest, like, big city to us is this place called Huntsville, Alabama. It's really not that big of a town, but to us, we think it's the big city. And so my brother and my sister and I were going to a concert in Huntsville a couple years ago, and we were really excited. I'm going to take this off. Um, and we got there. The show was great. Jason Isbell. Any Jason Isbell fans out there? Okay, maybe. Yeah, what up? So we went and saw him, and it, was, it went really late at night. We, we were driving back on Highway 72, which is a two-lane highway in the middle of Podunk, Alabama. And there are no lights, no street lights, no nothing. And, but there's a, lo- a lot of people have car accidents on Highway 72 because it's like 65 miles an hour. There's no lights anywhere, and it's just two lanes. So we're driving, and my brother and sister are both a good bit older than me. And so um, I'm, I'm a little bit more up with, like, the YouTube videos than they are. So I'm always, like, to catch up with, like, catch them up on, like, funny YouTube videos. And I was showing them the Double Rainbow video. Y'all remember the double rainbow video where the guy goes out and he's like, oh, it's a double rainbow all the way across the sky. What does it mean? You know, that whole thing. And so I'm like showing them that and they're laughing. And I'm like, oh, but there's actually like someone did like an auto-tune to this. Now, right? So I like show them the auto-tune version and it's like singing like double rainbow all the way across the sky. And I'm just like, this is amazing. And we're laughing and I'm sitting in the front seat. My sister's driving. I'll never forget this. And I'm holding it. I'm holding my phone up so that they can see it. And she's watching my phone, and I look up, and I see two headlights coming straight at us. Probably, like, no farther from, like, here to the back of the room. And we're, both, we're going, like, 65 miles an hour. We have no idea how fast that person's going. And I just go, Sarah! And she looks up, and it's, like, 50-50 time. Think about that. And just... I was just listening to her heart. I don't know, like, what, Jesus took the wheel. I don't know what happened, but, like, she just goes, boom, lane change to the left, and, like, another second goes by, and that car just goes, whoosh, straight passes, and never flinched. And we both just, like, sat there in silence, and, like, it's the double rainbow all the way, like, in, the, in the car, it's like, and, like, no one said anything for, like, 30 seconds. We were just, like, we almost all just died that there was a 50 50 chance like when we started like what if you didn't change the lanes like what it what you know my my pregnant wife didn't come to the concert with us because she was feeling sick like I would have had like a widowed pregnant I mean I we just started thinking about that that's crazy and then I started thinking about like would I have been okay if if I had, had died have you ever thought about that? Like maybe you've had like a near-death experience or you hear of someone who does have like an accident and it makes you start thinking like, would I, would I be okay if that had happened? And I started to think about that and wonder like, would I be, am I confident that I would be okay? And tonight I guess what I want you to think about is what is your confidence? Like what would your confidence be in that would let you know that you're okay? And this is what I want to talk about tonight. We're talking about the, the reality that God is at work even when it feels like he's not. And what I want you to see tonight is that you can be confident in his work for you. Because you can be confident in the length that he will go to work for you. That's what we're going to look at tonight. The length that God will go 
to work for you. So let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, um, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you now, Lord Jesus. Would you bless our time? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, I want to look at three um, quotations that Molly read to us a second ago, okay? I want to look at the quotation, crucify him, I thirst, and it is finished. These three things that are said right around the time when Jesus is either about to go to the cross or is on the cross. So first off, crucify him. Y'all, we're kind of bored with the cross. If you've been around the church much at all, the cross, like, may, I feel this way. It maybe doesn't, like, hit you. The, the campus minister at Vanderbilt, a guy named Richie Sessions, he, he was talking about, I heard him talking about, like, the cross. He said, you know, the cross to the to first century Romans, it was like a swastika. Like, you didn't talk about it. It was indecent and grotesque. Listen to what, um, this is a first century Roman politician named Cicero. Listen to him talk about the Roman cross. The very mention of the cross should be far removed, not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, and his ears. The cross was impolite. It was indecent. It was grotesque. And yet, that is exactly where these people who are shouting, crucify him, it's where they send to Jesus. And not only do they send him there, but before that, they, they beat him within an inch of his life. They blindfold him. They mock him. They spit on him. They nail him to the cross. And then they put him in between two robbers in a trash dump outside the city. And he's dying in front of his mother, naked. That's what they do to him. And <clears throat> look... We talked about this last week, but there's probably been, if, there hasn't, if this hasn't happened to you yet, it's happened to a friend or a family member where you have wondered, how is God at work right now? How can God be at work in this? And I want you to take solace in this. And take comfort in this because, listen, never in the, in, according to the Bible, it would claim that never in the span of human history, has it been, has it seemed more like God was not at work? Like all had been lost. God is on a cross. It, one of my pastor friends says, you know what? God, God's favorite martial art is not karate, it's judo. <laughs> Some of you just like, what does that mean? <laughs> Let me um, tell you about the martial arts a little bit. Karate like, is basically like you hit people, I think, and like chop people or kick and stuff, and stuff. But judo is about taking the momentum of your attacker and using it against them. And on the cross, when it seems like everything is lost, God is at work. Listen to me. This is a poem from a World, a world War I survivor. Now, think about it. Someone who has survived World War I, they've seen some stuff. Terrible stuff. And when you see that thing and you've got PTSD or whatever going on after all of that that you've seen, 
how can you like how can you believe that there is even is a God who would be at work in this world? Listen to what this survivor wrote, this poem. He says this. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak, speaking of Jesus. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Do you hear what he's saying? That God can understand and relate to what you're going through because he has wounds. He doesn't say stay far removed from your suffering and be like, you know what, like, I'm at work, you're just going to have to trust me about this. Mm -mm. We talked about this last week. Jesus hates your suffering so much. He weeps over your suffering so much that he dies to take it away because he's at work in your life. The Christian religion is the only major world religion that has a God who suffers, a God who cares so much to enter into your suffering to take it away. Um, There was a man around the time of World War II named Vitold Pilecki. Vitold Pilecki was a Christian, and he was living in Poland. And he knew, like when the Germans invaded and Jewish people started disappearing, he knew that something was amiss. And so, Witold Pilecki co-founded the secret Polish army. Is that not like the coolest name? for? It's like the second coolest after Dumbledore's army, but like it's the second coolest name of an army I've ever heard. Secret Polish army. Harry Potter, what's up? Um, so, he, found, he co-founds the secret Polish army because he wants to begin a resistance to know what's going on in Auschwitz, which is right down the road from where he lives. But he knows that the only way that he can really know what's happening in Auschwitz is to do something about it. So, on September 19th, 1940, this gets me. On September 19th, 1940, Witold Pilecki kissed his wife and two young children goodbye and with fake papers given to him with a new Jewish identity, he went into a Jewish roundup and went into Auschwitz. And Witold Pilecki spent years of his life in Auschwitz sneaking people out, rescuing people, one after the other after the other. There's a, there's a street named after him if you go to Poland. And Witold Pilecki escaped with his life when he, when he realized the Nazis were really starting to figure out what he was doing and what he was a part of. Now look, listen, listen to what he says. He, he, he describes what it was like. This is, this is what happened upon his arrival. Together with a hundred other people, I at last reached the bathroom. Here we gave everything away into bags to which respective numbers were tied. Here our hair, the hair of our head was shaved. The hair of our body was cut off. And we were slightly sprinkled by cold water. I got a blow in my jaw immediately with a heavy rod, and I spat out two of my teeth. The bleeding began, and from that moment, we were, became near numbers. I wore number 4,859. For three years, he was in there until he escaped with his life. Now look, that may sound a little bit like what Jesus is doing here, 
But what Jesus is doing is so much more. Because Vitol Pilecki went in to save people who weren't his enemies. Jesus went to the cross for people that Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemies, he died for us. And Vitol Pilecki escaped with his life. Jesus stayed to the death to save his enemies. That's what the Bible claims. So, when it seems like God is not at work on the cross, he most certainly is. And he most certainly is because we see the second point. Jesus says, I thirst. Okay, now, I do think that Jesus is physically thirsty, but I want you to think about, if you were here the first week, we looked at this Samaritan woman. Y'all remember her? She's, Jesus meets her at a well, and she's had five broken relationships. And Jesus starts talking to her. He says, like, you know what? I've got water for you that if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. And she's like, where is it? Because she is thirsty for actual water. But what she's really thirsty for is this thing that she is so unsatisfied by. Like, she has this hole in her life. And all of these relationships that she's been jamming into that hole to try to fix it, she's just not satisfied. She just feels empty. And Jesus looks at her and he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. What Jesus is saying is, if, if you receive me by faith, you will, never, you will never be thirsty again because I will bring you to the one who will satisfy you. But now on the cross, do you see what's happened? Jesus is thirsty. Do you know why he's thirsty? Because for the first time, he's experiencing that void. The void of being separated from God. I, uh, I went to the beach with our family um, this, this summer. And <laughs> going to the beach, we have four kids. Going to the beach with four kids like in the water is like, you're kind of terrified like almost all the time. Like someone's about to die, it feels like all the time. And I, uh, <laughs> I had... Chrissy had Betsy, our baby, on, at the beach, like, sitting in the chair. And I had Lucy, Georgia, and Owen. And had, they were all there. And Georgia was, like, freaking out because she had sweated a little bit, or sweat a little bit. And it was, like, getting in her eye and stinging. And so she's just, like, screaming, crying. And we're, like, trying to, like, hello, everyone. Like, just trying to play cool. And Owen was, like, kind of had enough with it. He's, like, I'm, Daddy, I'm, can I go back and see Mom? And I'm just, like, okay, whatever. Yeah, just go. It's fine. And so he, like, starts going back to the water, through the water, like, to see Chrissy. And I've got the girls. And it's crowded. We're at, like, Rosemary Beach. It's crowded. And I look up 15 seconds later. I'm, like, uh, is he with Chrissy? Uh, no, is he? In? And 15 seconds. I can't find him anywhere. And I started freaking out, like, I've lost my son. Where, like, where are you? And I started calling out for him, and he was like, hey, Dad. It's like, right, you know, 15 seconds. He didn't get that far. Um, Jesus is here on the cross, and what he's had for eternity is perfect communion with his dad. He's always been with him. And when he says, I'm thirsty, it's like he, he might as well be saying, Dad, where are you? Y'all, 
the Bible tells us that what hell is like is that it's separation from God. Listen to what 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So what does eternal destruction look like? It looks like being away from the presence of the Lord and his glory. Look, some of you some of you have heard like, well, I thought that like there's what about like the burning and the fire and like the worms that don't stop eating and like all that stuff. Look. Don't take this to the bank. This is like my theological opinion, okay? This is opinion time, not like die on this hill time. But like I'm not sure that the hell the the fire of hell is like literal. If I was guessing, I would say it's more figurative. And what I think that it's re- what I think that it represents is this. Like, what does fire do? Fire takes something that is whole and good and right, and it disintegrates it. Something that's integrated and whole, and the way it's supposed to be, and it it takes it and it makes it not how it's supposed to be. And when we're separated from God, we're not the way that we were made to be. And that is hell. There's a story of, that Jesus tells of this rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man is this guy who was like kind of a jerk in life. And Lazarus was this guy who was just kind of poor and needy. And the rich man was kind of mean to Lazarus. And so they both die. And Lazarus goes um, to heaven. And the rich man goes to hell. And there's this really interesting detail that Jesus tells about when the rich man in the story, he looks up. Maybe you've read this before. He, he looks up and he sees Lazarus up there, like with God and all the angels and stuff, and he sees him, and he says, will you please send Lazarus down here to bring me a drink of water? Because he's thirsty. Being separated from God feels like thirst. But did you think about this? Apparently he's talking to them. He, think about what the rich man doesn't say. He doesn't say, get me out of here. He says, will you send him down to bring me a little bit of comfort? Now look, maybe when I said to you that, maybe when I said, you know what, I'm not sure that hell is like burning. Maybe there was part of you and you were like, oh, thank goodness. I hope he's right about that. But when we think that, do you know that we tip our hand about what we really care about? It's like, oh, Thank goodness, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be separated from God, but at least I won't be burning. At least I'll be comfortable and separated from God. Mm-mm. What I'm telling you is this. To be separated from God and to thirst forever and to become less and less of what you are made to be, that is hell. And Jesus, what I want you to see is that Jesus doesn't want that for you so much that he went through hell to save you. On the cross, he's separated from his father that he has been with for eternity. And he does that for you. He goes through hell for you. That is God at work for you. On the cross, Jesus answers the question, how, God will God, how far will God go for me? And do you know why he's doing that? Right before he goes to the cross, listen to this prayer he prays to his dad. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me. Think about this. All, all the things that Jesus could have asked for, what does he want? Father, I desire 
that those you've given me may be with me where I am. And to see my glory that you've given me because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's thinking about you. You're what he wants. That just like gives me, that, sometimes I'm like, you know what, okay, maybe God loves me, but I don't think he likes me. Jesus wants to be with you. He likes you if you're his. And so the last thing, finally, he says this. It's finished. His dying breath, this is so important. He says it's finished. It's the word telestai. It's the same word that would be used to like stamp on a, like a, something like a receipt, like paid in full, telestai, done. It's paid. It's over. It's finished. Look, like think about if you were going, if you went to the co-op and like bought a bunch of books, or what, is that where you buy your books? Is the co-op you buy books there? Yeah. So you're you're leaving the co-op and like the person who's like standing there like greeting you or whatever like stops you and is like, do you have a receipt for there? You'd be like, boom, I bought it, boom, leave me alone, I'm leaving. Because you paid for it, and it's over, it's finished. And what Jesus is saying is the same is true if you're his. Did you know that? Listen, do you know what do you know what Buddha's dying words were? Strive without ceasing. Listen, this is where this is where you begin to see differences between what Jesus and the Bible is claiming and what many other world religions claim, and it's this. Most of the other world religions you could kind of classify as advice. This is what you need to do to be right. This is what you need to do to reach nirvana or paradise or whatever. Strive without ceasing, for instance. Keep working. Keep going. Keep doing it. Now listen, there's actually a lot of like really admirable things about that. But Christianity isn't advice. It's news. God, the word gospel even meant, it was a word from the first century that they used to, to describe news. And so what Christianity is, it's the news of what has already been done for you so that you don't have to do anything to finish the payment. It's paid in full. So let me tell you what that means. I, I kind of like, I feel like I run across two kinds of students in Texas. The self-righteous and the self-critical. Okay? Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. So like, if you're self-righteous, um, that, that might mean that like, you are seeking to prove to God that you're good enough for him. And dang, that gets tiring. And you know what? Do you know what the gospel says about that? The news of what Jesus has done says about that. It says that the God of the universe has died. You're so bad that the God of the universe had to die for you to be saved. So your good works really don't, they're not going to add up to that much more. Like he's good. Like I have my roommate from, uh, I went to Vandy. My roommate, he's this amazing portrait artist. He like has his 
um, art, like in all these like super hipster galleries in New York and stuff. And he's just like, he's so popular. Ugh. Right, anyway, um, so like, now imagine I get like a David McLeod piece. Like he comes and gives it to me. It's like at like 98% off because that's the only way I would be able to afford it. But like he gives, he's like, hey, I've got like a McLeod piece for you. Like imagine like I get it and I'm like, oh, this is this is cute and hipster. Like, one second, let me get, and I go and get Lucy Trapp's markers and just, like, start, like, you know what? I'm going to, like, finish that half of that person's face because it's weird that you did that. And, like, just start, like, messing with it. What would he say? No, no, no. It's finished. It's finished. Don't add to that. It is much better without you adding to it, actually. No one's going to pay for what you do because it's finished. It's done. That's the good news. You don't have to be, you don't have to earn God's favor. Jesus has done it in his life and death and resurrection for you. And if you're self-critical, if you find yourself just beating yourself up and just feeling down, like, how could, like, I suck. Man, I feel that a lot. You know what? God, in one way, affirms that. Because he says, Jesus was beat up for you. But what that means is that all of the beating up, all of the criticism and the judgment, it's fallen on him. It's finished for you. So you don't have to do that to yourself anymore. Because Jesus did that for you because God's been at work for you. That's how far he'll go for you. Because he loves you. So finally, think about this. <laughs> um, Ray Lewis, football linebacker, he said this. If you, if you live right, no blessing will God withhold from you. If you live right, no blessing will God withhold from you. Now look, Ray Lewis is an awesome guy, and he would squash me like a little bug if he had a problem with me. But I have a major problem with that. Because there's only one person who's ever lived right. Only one. And he was, the blessing that he got was that he drank the full cup of God's wrath on the cross. He went to hell on the cross for you if you would believe in him. That's it. Do you, the work of God. John 6 says this. The work of God is to believe. Period. Believe. So do you want free grace? Grace that will actually begin to change your life in a way that you don't have to earn the favor of God, but you know you can be, you can be confident. Not in a date that you walked down the aisle one day and like gave your life to Christ. Not confident in some like big experience that you had one day, not confident in all the things that you've done, but confident in a person. This first century little carpenter man who lived a perfect life for you. You can be confident in that person because God works for sinners. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you truly do offer free grace 
And so we look forward to the day where we will see you face to face. And I pray that these students would find their confidence, not in what they do, not in um, their own righteousness, but instead in your righteousness given to them by faith. And I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.